Citizens of the world, welcome. Good people, I know most of you are exhausted and bogged down and find yourself struggling to keep pace with an ever-changing world, bombarding us with news, innovations and requirements, and even if all you want is some semblance of stability, keeping your head above water and go on with your business minimum of attention to and understanding of what's going on is unavoidable. Because even if you want to remain blue-pilled, it's, it's not actually an option anymore, as many, if not most, are starting to realize. Lest you want to wave goodbye to your privacy, security, health and even money. That's how bad things have become. You are forced to keep an eye at the rabbit hole just in order to be able to assess what's really going on in these times of censorship, propaganda, or Orwellianism, and official sourced dis- and misinformation. All this is also, nay, especially true for economy. Small wonder if you then, like me, are confused about concepts like fiat, crypto, bitcoin, tokens, NTFs, etc. Well, unlike most of you, I am in a position of having the luxury and time to research such matters and talk with people whom I have deemed trustworthy which is the role and prerogative of broadcasters. It's a damn job to do the dirty work, to keep track of things and present it in a digestible way to our audience, to save you time so you can maintain your daily life, lifestyle, job, family and whatnot while getting some genuine information from an independent, trusted source. And indeed, I've done my homework, so today we will clarify some very important matters which the economic elite do not want you to fully understand. Indeed, they need you to be confused about these matters so that the oligarchs of the world with the multinational corporations and central banks can continue looting the public coffers while simultaneously extract as much energy and resources out of your wallet and of your working body and mind, which is why most, if not all, you have heard about this from the media, at best keeps you in confusion. At worst, turns you against the one silver lining left in the world to hope for its betterment and an end to the global corruption, centralization, pillage of nature and resources, wars and destructions, and of course, the increasing tyranny leaving you as a powerless pawn to witness the madness and anti-human processes unfolding all around us. So permit me to back up this seemingly hyperbolic assertion with first explaining that in 1971 the old world order, which had its own problems, was hijacked by US President Nixon on behalf of the coup makers who turned over Kennedy and Khrushchev, seizing power to transforming the world into an image of their paradise our hell, which today is crystallized politically by neocons and neoliberalism. The gold standard, which our old economy was based on, became replaced with the petrodollar, and this system is called fiat from Latin, meaning so be it, 
in a meaning of decree, because the new economy is no longer a huge cake where we fight for the resources this cake represents. In other words, we used to fight for how much of the cake each part could be accessed by each segment of society. Instead, they threw away the cake and replaced it with nothing. Or to be more precise, the world's resources were no longer represented by a symbolic cake. Those in charge could now create money out of thin air, no longer having it reflect what the actual resources amounted to. With the fiat system, they could just print as many cakes, <laughs> as much money as needed or wanted. They were still restricted to the physical capability of cash floating about, and how much new cash they could flush into the system, etc. But other than practical limitations, which could be adjusted in other ways, such as cutting out small coins like pennies and pence and introducing larger bills, notwithstanding other symbolic representation of value like bonds, it essentially meant that there is a shadow economy, a top layer which has full control over the values in the monetary world, that is, all economic areas adhering to this system. If you control the money press, you basically have a monetary god. No matter how hard the people fight for the crumbs among the actual resources, it is all represented through this fake system, through money, fiat money, which they control. I will not go on about this history lesson and explain more the implications and consequences of fiat, partly because you can find good sources to this elsewhere. And I recommend the three-part cartoon you can find online called Money as Debt. But mainly because we need to move on to our current predicament. The wet dream of the banksters and oligarchs and the corporatist politicians serving them was always a centralized digital coin. Why? Because then, with a button push, they have complete control. Money has always been the real power in the world, much more than voting, which is why you have never had a voting say over anything to do with money. And with cash purged, cash after all can be exchanged in the shadows, everything is now centralized and controlled. Money has simply become numbers in their computer. If you control this computer, you can delete anyone at any time for any reason. Say an annoying Hindu trucker, which blocks the transport of resources between the US and Canadian border. If you control this computer, you can add as many zeros behind your own digital account or to that of your friends and partners and the vehicles and outlets serving your interests no matter how much the unwashed muscles work and produce tangible values, no matter how much they struggle with maintaining their part of the values reflecting the actual resources, so long as those values are a part of this centralized digital fiat system, you don't really have access to this real wealth. Except via these gatekeepers. They are those who control the link between the people and the resources in the world. And that link is the fiat system. To add insult to injury today, it is at the verge of becoming a 100% centralized digital fiat system, a digital coin. Yen, ruble, dollar, krona, lira, pounds, rupee, euro, it doesn't matter. So long as they are all part of the petrodollar fiat system, it's all becoming e-dollar, e-euro, e-pound, etc. Controlled by the central banks, which, and make no mistake about this, are mere political tools, and the ideology they adhere to has anything but your lowly interests in mind. 
To make a long story short, this is the shortcut to a Bond villain's wet dream. This is the road to complete tyranny. It will accomplish more than any military power or religious mind control could ever achieve. And there's no actual democratic, in the meaning by, often for the people, institution or organizations left to counter this. Everyone is compromised on the take, one way or another, by hook or by crook, a part of the system. I know I've painted a bleak portrait of the world, but like I said, if you cling to the blue pill, it won't make it brighter. It will only make your suffering less comprehensible. So you will turn your frustration and anger at your neighbor or whomever else of fellow sufferers ticks you off in your suppressed and exploited daily life. We simply cannot wish this away and things won't get better by kicking down at scapegoats or burying your head in the sand. However, I now ask you to take a better look at the painting and notice a small glimmer of light in the horizon. What if I told you that from out of nowhere, someone, and we have no idea who, threw a monkey wrench into this totalitarian system in Spain? Like some kind of indestructible virus. Only this virus doesn't just sabotage the old fiat operating system. It also generates a parallel open source operation system like Linux replacing Windows, if that analogy makes sense. And what if I told you that this game changer is currently generating so much panic behind the scenes among the owners of the world that they are forced to accelerate their Bond villain plans of totalitarianism because they are out of time. The more they wait, the less power they will have. Because this virus doesn't only completely turn over the economical system, replacing it with a decentralized and democratic currency, it will automatically also ruin the power tools that has kept the fiat system going. Tools like the war industry, the energy industry, indeed all corporatism, and the same with the propaganda press known as shamestream media, as well as the institutions of taxation, money printing, central banking, and what have you. In fact, every single head of the monster is threatened by this. <laughs> and... There's nothing they can do about it. It cannot be stopped. They can't rig it. They can't corrupt it. They can't perkiss it. They can't hijack it. They can't even outlaw it. There's only one thing they can do, and that's try keeping you away from it. Because the more people becoming aware of this virus, the closer it comes to subverting their dictature. The virus is there is already affected so metaphorical computers in the network, and as soon as you become aware of it, another computer has been liberated. That's why they need to keep you disinformed with fear at best, uninformed with ignorance at least, and confuse you as much as possible. And that's why I'm hoisting the Jolly Roger, the flag of revolution today, and shouting from my rooftop, that this virus is known as bitcoins. And if you, like me, have a healthy skepticism towards anything smacking of digital coins, and perhaps even thinking it's all just an intel ploy, all I ask is that you give me a few hours with my guest to fill the gaps of your knowledge, to provide clarity on all these matters, so that you then can make an informed assessment. And if you don't change your mind, so be it. Then you've earned your skepticism. 
But if, on the other hand, you most likely come to understand why the slogan must be Bitcoin, not crypto, then you've joined the revolution. Here's a preview of today's lesson. There's a difference between Bitcoin and the other businesses that have kind of erupted around them. So you've recently had the collapse of the FTX exchange, which ultimately yeah. was an exchange for uh, trading cryptocurrencies. And of course, Bitcoin was invented first and everyone kind of went, well, this is a great idea and everyone's doing really well, but maybe we can make it better. And For us, better for us. Uh, well, exactly. <laughs> opportunity to scam. <laughs> and I know, and it's like the gods gave Prometheus fire and everyone kind of went, well, you know, I think blue fire would be better or purple fire with sparkles would be better. Yeah. And so you've got all these all these people who've kind of want to make an amazing idea better. And there's nothing really to stop them experimenting with those ideas. I mean, Bitcoin kind of unlocked everything because up until that point, governments could shut down anything that was developed that purported to be a new form of money. But because they couldn't shut Bitcoin down, it meant that the door kind of opened for all of these other ideas with software. And so this is where all of the other cryptocurrencies come from. And now there are thousands of them. But of course, unless you do some study into what these things are, it's very easy for it to become confusing. Isn't it true that all cryptos except Bitcoin are just new fiat systems which are digital money is power in this world much more than a vote mm -hmm. so they are of course threatened by this because fiat is their con game mm -hmm. and then there's the intel agencies who are there well actually cia for example unbeknownst to many is a huge player in the economic market they right. first of all they have hijacked many banks and they have their own banks and businesses and corporations so corporatism is what we're living in yeah and monopoly power is the name of the game yeah and uh, you know these cartels right and it's the same small yeah. trillionaire class on top so for them they would kill that guy if they could have a time machine and go back oh absolutely Absolutely. And who's to say they haven't got one? But of course, <laughs> you know, one of the one of the um, cleverest things Satoshi Nakamoto did was keep himself anonymous. So 51% attack, it's the, your ability to take control of the blockchain and kind of manipulate it in the direction that you want it to go. In a scenario with a great reset, you shall owe nothing and be happy. No more middle class. Mm -hmm. is, is it too late or is there still time if... if a central power gobbles up everything, the proverbial powers that be, yeah. just to hijack the entire Bitcoin. Because as I understand it today, the only thing standing between complete economic tyranny mm -hmm. and uh, some semblance of uh, a working system that we've had in the past is Bitcoin. Yeah. So it's it would be the number one enemy. I mean, they go to war, they torture, they do anything. Yeah. They pollute, they rape for profit. Yeah. This is so of course they will try to find a way to yeah. kill Bitcoin. Yeah, absolutely. And and to be fair, they have. Mm. In the early days, I mean, a lot of people will argue now, well, you know, what about the government's ability to shut it down? It's just like they tried that. Mm. Do you think this thing would even exist if they hadn't even given it a good attempt? So the first thing they did was try and shut it down. Then when they realized they couldn't shut it down, the next thing was to try and it's like a number of these other altcoins. It was almost like you kind of create so much competition. Mm. People are then confused as to where the real innovation lies. And so I think around 2017, the bankers came up with this narrative of blockchain, not Bitcoin, mm. uh, because they were trying to they were trying to convince everyone that, well, yeah, although Bitcoin created a new innovation, they're never going to be able to take away what we do. So we're going to kind of co-opt the innovation and take it from there. And of course, you know, this is where the fear of central bank digital currencies come from, because ultimately they want to use a, a blockchain in order to run the fiat system. Just the fact that Bitcoin exists 
completely through the switch, having some kind of centralized digital fiat currency that they had control over was probably always the master plan. But Bitcoin kind of disrupted all of that. I think up until Bitcoin was invented, it's like they had this idea of having, you know, worldwide control of of the fiat currency system. But what the one thing they hadn't anticipated was someone coming along and creating a de- decentralized yeah. version and and having someone who kept themselves hidden. I mean, you know, what self-discipline as well to um, keep yourself. You've created this world-changing technology and kept yourself secret all this time. I mean, I think the story is just amazing. Mm. So absolutely necessary for humanity's freedom. If you listen to someone like Cliff, he will say that the elites always had this plan, but it was planned for much further out. And it's almost like the fact that Bitcoin was invented and the the ability it has to disrupt. Ah, that's why they accelerate the exactly. desperately. Yeah, They had to mm. accelerate it because otherwise they'd completely lose their opportunity. And accelerating it is a huge risk too, because that Absolutely. forces a lot of people to wake up. Yeah, Exactly. And so, of course, they accelerated it with the pandemic. Mm. And of course, the whole thing with the vaccine, I mean, it's it stimulated huge debate. Um, mm. Even even amongst people who had no idea about any of this stuff. I mean, yeah. it's been amazing to watch. It's Bitcoin, really, that brought their timetable forward. And uh, as a result, it's forcing them to make missteps. And it's almost like the university is giving us this last minute opportunity. It's like, yeah. guys, we understand why you weren't paying attention to this. And we get it. You know, who'd want to pay attention to these guys? But unless you do something right now, it's game over. So you yeah. better catch yeah. up quick. So when um, the Spanish invaded South America, they found it much easier to conquer it because they were based on more centralized systems. As long as they Mm. could get to the central figure and cut them down, they could destroy that whole society. Mm. But they struggled much more when it came to North America because a lot of the Indian cultures were very decentralized. There There wasn't a central figure. You know, most of their communities had a very integrated belief system Mm. and it was the belief system that helped to keep them organized. And so, Mm. and they struggled. It took them over about 200 years to kind of conquer the North American Indians. Mm. And in the end, the only way in which they could disrupt that organization was to challenge their belief systems. Um, You know, what people think and believe is really their ultimate power. And ultimately, that will be the weakness. And I think that is the aspect that the elites are attacking right now with the kind of the whole blockchain versus Bitcoin thing. Yeah, they were uh, want to undermine and deliberately confuse our understanding of, of Bitcoin. Absolutely. But, but me, the only way they can stop me is by turning off my account. Do they have that ability? No, if you hold your own wallet and you you have control of the keys. They can't. But one of the reasons why government have so much power is because at the moment with the fiat system, they've got access to unlimited resources. If they need more, they just print it. That's how they Mm. managed to get the First World War going. But the thing is, the longer Bitcoin survives and the more it's adopted by the general population, the more it weakens their power because the only way they have of enforcing any rule they have is by the resources they have access to. But the thing is, if they're collecting our taxes and those taxes are constantly being devalued they've got the same kind of problem that the innkeeper and his wife had in Les Miserables because they can't pay for things as quickly as the value of the money they're collecting is being devalued Mm. and of course in order to inflict a punishment they need to pay the people who will be tracking those transactions whereas if you've got bitcoin businesses who are more profitable and more rewarding to work for all of the people who might work for the government might actually prefer to work for one of the bitcoin (laughs) businesses because that's where the money is now exactly so what that means is all of their power is constantly being undermined the longer this system exists Mm. and so even though it would seem 
they have a lot of power. That's in some ways an illusion based on the way in which we've always understood the world to be up until now. Well, you remember from Game of Thrones, right? Mm -hmm. Power is power. So at the end of the day, you could get a dagger on your throat and, and you'll have to comply. But of course, that's physically impossible because even if they ban it, mm -hmm. even if they would go that far and say, you're now a terrorist if you have Bitcoin mm -hmm. and, and you're going to get the death penalty if mm -hmm. we catch you with it. Can we envision a way we could go on underground without them even noticing? Well, I mean, if I go back to what you were saying about um, the Game of Thrones analogy, yes, power mm. is power, but only while you have the ability to pay for it. Because right. you know, the only reason you can have eight soldiers surrounding you with a knife to your throat is the only reason Cersei had power was because they had the ability to pay for it. Yeah, you're right. It's the Iron Bank who has the power. Money is power. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and the, the moment the Iron Bank starts kind of going, oh, maybe we won't be giving you that loan after all. You know, mm. suddenly their power structure starts to crumble. So mm. ultimately, the fiat currency is their weakest link. And so by Bitcoin undermining that, that ultimately is working away at the foundation. And it won't happen straight away. So certainly it may well be in the short term they find people to make examples of, which makes everyone else fearful. But the thing is, the more that other people understand it and understand what's happening, they might hit one, but then they'll have 10 others that pop up that they have yeah. to. And if they've got limited resources, they might be able to get one. But the more other people learn about it and grow, you can't execute everybody. No. So this is why the idea is so powerful, because that for every single person you teach about this, you're making the network stronger, even if they don't want to know it, even if they don't own any, yeah. just the yeah. fact that they understand what's happening, just by attacking it, they expose themselves. You know, just the fact that you're asking me that question about Canada in this interview, straight away, it's just kind of like they wouldn't attack it if it wasn't a threat. And human beings don't realize the power they have collectively, mm. especially when they have a collective understanding about something, which mm. is why education is so important. Mm. You know, my mission is not so much to get people to buy it, but just understanding it is so powerful yeah. and understanding the lessons behind it and the things that it disrupts really gives humanity their power back. That siren voice you heard there belonged to our guest, Dr. Victoria Colette Jones, who is an award-winning dentist who has worked in the dental industry for over 20 years. She has had a range of involvement in different public and private sector markets, from small family-owned practices to large corporate chains, from local cooperatives to international institutions. Her formal education started in 92 at United Medical and Dental Schools of Guys and St. Thomas, where she in 97 earned her BDS in dentistry. In 02, she moved on to Nottingham University Business School for a Master in Business Administration and acquired her MBA in 06. She's a member of the University Royal Naval Unit and the British Dental Students Association, where she's served as secretary. She's been awarded the Ronald Gain Prize, as well as the Alfred Woodhouse Prize. Jones has extensive experience in varied business environments with different roles. Her work career started as clinical manager for Nottingham Emergency Dental Service between 01 and 03. Between 02 and 03, she was also clinical manager for Derby Emergency Dental Service. From 03 to 05, she was dentist and clinical advisor at Boots Dental Care. Between 05 and 07, she was Regional Clinical Director for Optical Express Dental Clinic. Between 09 and 20, she was also Dental Advisor at Medical Protection Society.
Then she set up her own practice in 08 called Victoria Jones Dental Studio, where she was owner and associate dentist unto 18. After 10 years, starting up and building her own dental establishment into a profitable enterprise in the private sector, she successfully sold it. Victoria has had a keen interest in the world of commerce and economics, including new payment methods and the ways in which these will influence and profoundly affect our future. Her familiarization with Bitcoin came in 16 when she introduced it as a payment method into her own business. In 20, she finally set up her own company and website devoted entirely to Bitcoin, called Satoshi's Page Limited, where she is director, author, and educator. Consequently, she now works as a Bitcoin advocate, supporting individuals and businesses that are similarly interested in adopting Bitcoin as a payment method. In March 20, she published her first book, Truth Decay, How Bitcoin Fixes This, Unveiling the Path to Financial Freedom. It's rated in the top 100 best Bitcoin books and best Bitcoin audiobooks of all times. Today I will attack her with all the questions from my current stage of insight into this matter, as well as flushing out some of the tidbits from her book. Welcome to Forum Borealis, Victoria. Hello, nice to meet you. Yeah, great to have a Brit on. It's been a while. I like, <laughs> I like to vary, not just have Americans, you know. Yes, well, you yeah, know. half my audience is uh, non-American, so. Okay. But uh, and I have to um, say that uh, I got in touch with you via Johnny Vedmore. Yes. But you just told me there's another connection. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about that. Um. Well, you were. This is the first time um, that we've spoken, but yes, uh, you got in touch with me after I did an interview on Johnny Vedmore's podcast. And I was saying in our preamble, because I'd not spoken to you before, that actually I had heard your interviews because um, you'd interviewed Cliff High. Yes. And uh, I've I've listened to a number of Cliff High interviews. So, um, And I was saying actually that um, I actually learned about Cliff High because of Bitcoin. I mean, I, I first became interested in Bitcoin in 2016. And there wasn't actually much information about it then. But I think at the time, uh, it was popping up quite a bit on his report. So there are quite a few people uh, who I was listening to to learn about Bitcoin who were mentioning these reports. And uh, and so eventually I was like, well, who's this Cliff High person? Mm. And uh, so I then discovered him and discovered his reports. And of course, late 2016, 2017, he was generating quite a lot of interest because his some of his predictions about the Bitcoin price were turning to be very accurate. I think around January 2017, he said the price would go through £800 three, to $800 three times. And then after that, we'd never see that price again. And it did exactly that. And then the price just carried on taking off. And everyone who was watching that at the time were like, wow, this is amazing. Um, and so I think he got quite a following um, in 2017. But yeah. I, I think... He got his fingers burnt from talking about crypto. I, I, yeah. I believe that um, he might have had some legal issues, which is why one of the reasons why he doesn't talk about it so much anymore. I could be wrong. I'm speaking on his behalf. And it's just a supposition. Yeah. But, um, yeah. And that's probably one of the reasons he didn't want to do crypto with me. Yeah. Uh, actually, because I've, I've had him on for a lot of stuff. 
Yeah. But the main reason he he never wanted to do crypto with me, I think, is because because um, I tried, folks, I tried. But uh, basically because it's kind of a waste of his time and energy because he knows I'm clueless. In fact, he was the one who pushed me into it. He even oh. taught me how to use Exodus. Very nice of him. Uh -huh. I got in before, oh. uh, I mean, not at the perfect time that you talked about, but at least better than, it was lower than, uh, well, I don't know. It's it's uh, Now it's a fall again, and we're going to get to that. So I want to know how that is in comparison with the past. But mm. it's kind of like, there's a like I said to you, there's a million people out there who actually want to educate newbies about it. Yeah. And you're, you're actually one of them due to your book, yeah. which we're going to uh, discuss today. And so I think this is a better way to do it. Uh, it would be like someone who has completely clueless, for example, about esoterica coming to me, wanting to, you know, asking so basic questions that I get annoyed rather than. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like I'd rather talk with a colleague about deeper things. You know, that's the interesting yes. conversation. So I fully understand, Cliff. But um, yeah. There's another thing, and that's the webbot. And uh, I think one of the reasons he's... Uh, I mean, he's not on Twitter probably because he's one of those who got banned, but uh, yeah, not have been restored yet. But his webbot, he was complaining how that was polluting his data. Yes. So I think he eventually realized he should shut up about it to the public or maybe just yeah. give it to the insiders, if you see what I mean. Because mm. it creates an artificial feedback loop that pollutes yes. the data. So um, yeah, I think um, when the censorship started coming in after Trump was elected, yeah. it seemed to be creating problems with his data, and so mm. yeah, he was getting anomalies. And I think in in January 2017, his reports were reporting that Bitcoin was going to 100k, and it would be around Christmas. And so, of course, that got a lot of people interested. And then, of course, it didn't do that. Oh no, that was January 2018, I think. Mm. Um, so there'd already been a high, and. Um, so yeah, I think Jan uh, December 2018, the price got up to 20,000 when it had been 500 pa $500 the year before. So so when you say that, do you mean one Bitcoin equals $500? Yeah, one Bitcoin was $500 in December 20 2016. Yeah. And what is it today? At uh, the moment it's 17,000. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And this is after the fall. Yeah, this is after the fall because, of course, it got to a high of about sixty-five thousand last year. So, so is that the all-time high? Yeah, the all-time high so far has been sixty-five. Mm. Uh, I think it was sixty-seven thousand, maybe to, to be exact. But yeah, then I don't even own a full Bitcoin. <laughs> well, many people do. In fact, there aren't enough Bitcoins in existence for every millionaire on the planet to own a full one. Mm. So it won't be possible for most people to own a full Bitcoin. But just owning some of one uh, could serve you very well in the future. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're going to get to that too. And we have plenty of time, so this is going to be fun. Now, <laughs> let's uh, re rewind the clock. Mm -hmm. uh, Satoshi, your page, by the way, we could give a shout out already now, is called Satoshi's, um, what was it? Satoshi's on oh, Yeah, my website, it's satoshispage.com. Yeah, so, satoshispage.com. So Satoshi is a word people have heard, a name. Yeah. pseudonym whatever and uh, the, i've heard a million theories he's the one or she maybe who knows is the one credited for having uh, invented and launched this 
Uh, and I've heard uh, all sorts of theories from uh, it being an Intel mm-hmm. initiative to it being like an uh, alien yeah. <laughs> savior thing. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, there's a lot of mysticism around this. Uh, what do we know, and uh, you know about how this uh, developed, and and what's your best guess about what went on behind the scenes there? Yeah, so um, Satoshi Nakamoto is the name of the person who's credited with inventing Bitcoin, and he invented it by basically presenting like a nine-page white paper to a group of cypherpunks. So uh, there was a there was a group of people who were communicating on the internet. They had an email group, a little bit like a WhatsApp group or a Telegram group these mm. days, and. Uh, and so people had been thinking through this idea for quite a long time. You know, it wasn't a new thing. People had been discussing digital currencies for about 20 years. And actually, there had been iterations of other di- digital currencies. So a notable one was one called eGold, where they were using a digital currency that was tied to the price of gold. But the problem with a lot of these, a lot of these early digital currencies was as soon as they started to take off, the US government would come in and shut them down. Mm. And so because, of course, it was illegal to create a new form of money uh, in America. And actually, when Bitcoin started to take off, there were a lot of attempts to try and track down who Satoshi was. And I remember in the early days, there there were some BBC news reports of the fact that they thought they'd found him in Australia. And then, of course, there was the engineer in Los Angeles, I think they found, whose name was actually Satoshi Nakamoto. And he got a great deal. He got a great Poor guy. Of, I know he got a great deal of attention as a result of this. And uh, until CIA eliminated him. <laughs> well, well, I mean, he wasn't eliminated, but he was pulled in for questioning and, and um he wow. was very reluctant about the whole thing. And he only agreed to do an interview. Um, if they'd reward him with a meal. And so oh. clearly a very, a very simple guy, but um his face is often used in the Bitcoin community as the face of Satoshi Nakamoto because of all the hype mm. around what happened when they'd discovered him. So so the thing is that there were attempts in the early days to try and figure out who this Satoshi Nakamoto was, because of course something like Bitcoin is a huge threat to um governments around the world because you know a lot of our governments have are as large as they are and as influential as they are because they are tied into how our money works. And not a lot of people understand this. Of course, they're not just the governments. Um, The governments these days are pathetic imitations of what they once was. Uh, Although I'm anarchistic enough to want to keep them at bay, real power today is amongst should I say, pan-governmental structures where governments are hijacked and baked in as part of those power structures, yeah. power networks. Yeah. Now, there's, of course, there's the oligarchs. Yeah. Usually, I mean, money is power in this world, much more than a vote. Mm-hmm. So they are, of course, threatened by this because fiat is their con game. Mm-hmm. And then there's the intel agencies who are there, I don't know, operate... Well, actually, CIA, for example, unbeknownst to many, is a huge player in the economic market. They, right. First of all, they have hijacked many banks and they have their own banks and businesses and corporations. So corporatism is what we're living in. We're not living in socialism, Americans, mm-hmm. and we're not living in capitalism, Europeans. Yep. We're living in corporatism. Yeah. And monopoly power is the name of the game. Yeah. And uh, even if if it's not going to be one huge core running the entire world on the outside, yeah, because they will partition it 
even even though in some industries they openly have just one corporation running everything but yeah. at least they have the illusion of having several corporations because it's a nightmare to try to uh, nest up you know daughter corp yeah. or, you know these cartels right and it's the same uh, small yeah. billionaire class uh, yeah. trillionaire class on top so for them they would kill that guy if they could have a time machine and go back oh absolutely Absolutely. And who's to say they haven't got one? But of course, mm-hmm. you know, one of the one of the um, cleverest things Satoshi Nakamoto did was keep himself anonymous, Yeah, going back to the original story. So he created a system that was essentially self-governing, um, that was actually difficult to change. It wasn't impossible to change, but it was difficult to change. You need a greater than 50 percent consensus in order to make any any uh, significant changes to how the uh, network worked. And so what that means. Yeah, I, I want to ask you more about that later because uh, that's a crucial thing that people don't understand. Because I'm mm-hmm. uh, like many of my listeners. I have many crypto listeners, but many listeners are clueless, and mm-hmm. they have the healthy instinct. I think that I also had that. Yeah. Oh, it's digital. Yeah. Well, then it's in someone's uh, computer, right? Then you're screwed. It's even worse than fiat. At least in fiat, it's limited to physical dollars. Yeah. So that we have to explore so people get it because. This makes Bitcoin stand out from all the other. Are you familiar with a guy called Mark Moss? Yes. yes. I saw a video of his uh, not that long ago called The Great Reset of Crypto is Happening. Mm -hmm. And when I saw it's 45 minutes, folks, find it on YouTube. Now, of course, um, Victoria here is going to educate you properly. But when I saw him go through uh, the uh, very... He's a great teacher, you know, very orderly on a blackboard, what it's all about. Now I get it. Now I get why he and many others says Bitcoin, not crypto. So we have to get to that. But uh, rewind back to your history lesson. It's super interesting. Go on. Um, So where was I? So we were talking about um, how um, uh, Nagamoshi, who he was, he had the wits to keep himself anonymous. Anonymous. Yes, yeah. yes. And they want to crush him. Yeah, you talk about 50%, 50% uh, dominion to change it. Yeah, so yeah, so he, he essentially created this kind of self-governing software. So, I mean, a lot of people kind of get um, a little bit overwhelmed when it comes to computer technology because it's not something that it's easy to understand and it's become so complicated and technical and people get really afraid of this whole AI thing. But ultimately, software is just a series of rules that have been written down that allow you to automate things. And so the cleverer people get at writing the code in order to automate something, the more complex some of these computer systems can be. But ultimately, it comes down to how it's been designed by uh, the humans behind it. You know, software mm. is ultimately based on the creativity of humans. And so uh, Satoshi Nakamoto used some of the, a, a number of the principles and he gave a number of credits to them um, at the end of his white paper, you know, ideas that were already in circulation. The unique thing he did was he just kind of brought them all together to create this self-governing system, uh, this, this self-governing list of rules that were programmed into the software to basically organize how money worked. And and the the amazing thing about it was that um, the software was kind of set up in such a way that it kind of mimicked a gold standard. So, I mean, I I first became interested in gold and silver before I learned about Bitcoin. But having run a business myself, once I understood why 
gold and silver were sound money because there was a limited amount of them that stopped them from being created. And by having a sound money, economics is better and fairer. But I realized that as a business owner, it was a complete hassle if someone paid me in cash because I'd have to collect it. I'd have to trust whoever I put at the desk to collect it. Mm. Um, Then you'd have to go to the bank in order to pay it in. And I was like, cash is hard enough, let alone gold, you know, because it's heavy, (laughs) it's inconvenient. You don't know whether or not someone's given you a fraudulent gold coin. There are checks are the first attempt, I think, to move from cash to digital. Or, or more effective, I should say. Yeah, well... Remember people were writing checks in the old days? Absolutely. Well, the thing is, a lot. one of the things that people don't appreciate about the gold standard is the only reason it worked was because we needed an intermediary. We needed the banks to store the gold yeah. and then issue a, a token, like our fiat currency, against the gold that was in the bank in order for our our money to work. And at the time, that was a huge innovation. And um, one of the earliest economists called Adam Smith, he was very... He was very pleased that the banks did this. He thought that it was fantastic. And actually, the fact that the banks existed and they were using this gold standard helped to create a great deal of prosperity at the end of the 1800s. You know, the end of the 1800s is one of the most prosperous times in Europe because we had this form of sound money. You know, sound money allows individuals to accumulate wealth. It allows businesses to to operate more fairly it it operates as a medium of of trust mm. between individuals and the banks in london were the arbiter of this and as a result of this sound money this was the key to how the british empire actually evolved because they were able to establish these trustworthy relationships it's the fact that people could be trusted that allowed things to flourish and so you had this saying you know sound sound as a pound or because the british currency uh was so powerful mm. it was that currency that allowed the british empire to be so successful and they needed the banks to do that but the the where they failed was when they started to change that and the key to that was uh the beginning of the first world war because they'd got to the stage where they felt that winning the war was more critical than anything else. And so they had to use an accounting trick in order to temporarily suspend the amount of value with the fiat credits that they were putting out into, into the population compared to the amount they had back. Yeah, plus war is a huge expense, right? It's just destruction. Absolutely. It's destruction of people who could accumulate wealth and it's destruction of businesses. But there's one business that flourished under war and that's the main business left in the transatlantic business sector today and that's the military industrial complex yeah. but uh, anyway yeah well it was a it was an accounting trick that had devastating consequences and um and the only reason they were able to do that was because they had all the banks under the same umbrella so in the late 1800s mm. individual banks were kind of responsible for holding having their own gold holdings and people chose which bank they went to in order to trust with their holdings and they'd issue a token against and they'd issue you know their currency against their holdings in the bank and so you'd kind of get these periodic failures where a certain bank would fail and of course this was devastating to whoever was part of the bank but of course the others were still sustainable and so that whole system had its own kind of uh, way of kind of monitoring itself. 
And but of course, it's a huge disaster for the people who lost out under these under these situations. And so there was a great deal of mm. political discussion about having a central bank because by doing that, there was always a way of backstopping the ones who the ones who were vulnerable. Yeah. And so, but that reminds me of Stalin's uh, words when he said, "I don't care who." Uh, is something about I don't care who who is voting. What I care about is who's counting the vo- vote. And I will paraphrase that to say I don't care who's banking. Yeah, I care who controls the central bank. <laughs> well, exactly. But of course, the central banks didn't pr- weren't properly um, established until the Federal Reserve in 1913. Mm. And of course, this was one year before the breakout of world war one and of course you know once the central banks had been fully established this was the point at which they could finally use this accounting trick of uh changing how much money was in circulation compared to the gold in the bank because until the central bank was set up they weren't actually able to do that Mm. and um and it's amazing how quickly they then had to had to put that in into play because you know, by all accounts, the First World War would not have been able to get as big as it did if it hadn't been for the fact that they'd used that accounting trick in order to manipulate the money. Mm. And like so many of these things, you know, it's supposedly temporary. But once you take that step, it's very, very difficult to go back. And so the whole of the 20th century very much has been about how how to manage this money in this in this situation where the rules have been played with and and a lot of people don't remember that around the beginning of the 20th century it was a huge part of the political discussion but all of these things have been forgotten you know you just need a couple of generations and if it's not in your conversation you you wouldn't even think about it anymore yeah and that case yeah and people don't learn anything in school either that's useful they don't no Mm. they don't and in fact, it's almost shocking how much this is kept out of people's education. This, uh, you know, elements of, are taught, elements of it are taught to you at school, but in many respects, most of the things I've learned is from doing my own research and yeah. I'm reading the own books. And you kind of follow the own thread, and it's like, well, this doesn't make sense. So, where did this actually come from? I have to emphasize your point there. People had a, actually a much more uh, sophisticated understanding of economy. Mm-hmm. Back in the old days, I think the decline really started in the 80s. Now, people had different ideologies and views on what kind of economical system they prefer. Mm-hmm. So that's true that there was there was a much more of a battle between the isms mm-hmm. around how to do money. But in general, people were better educated on how it worked. Of course, they didn't have the complications of digital stuff and <laughs> up until the 70s they didn't even have the complication of fiat right with the magic mm-hmm. that came in and and really made things uh, confusing <laughs> so maybe it was easier but on the other hand people also had a better education i think based on hard experience for example with the two world wars absolutely and also the battle between um central planned economy and uh, a pseudo free market so mm-hmm. so the, yeah there was a higher consciousness among our, our grandparents than uh, we have mm-hmm. today today we are completely deluded uh, drones cooks in a in a factory system yeah. and and it's understandable really because this has been going i mean if the central bank was first set up in 1913 and and the first break with the gold standard occurred in 
1914 you know it's over 100 years and of course the final tie with the gold standard which a lot of americans uh relate to is when richard nixon took america off the gold standard in 1971 so that means anyone younger than 50 has no knowledge of actually operating outside of a fiat system Mm. and so it's hardly it's hardly surprising that um people are so They've been completely divorced from from how the world worked in the past. And actually, the way in which our money work is is just it's like the whole foundation. And once you start messing with it, I mean, the analogy I often use when I talk to people about this is like, you know, if you want a beautiful rose garden, you need a trellis in order to support the stems. Well, what now? You need a trellis. So it's like a framework for the roses to grow. Mm. So and it's like. Humanity is incredibly creative, but it needs this framework in order to have a way of interacting with each other in terms of their commerce. And the thing is, once you start messing with that, you mess with everything. It has so many knock on implications that, you know, once you start unwinding what those implications are, it's I mean, I find it fascinating, but it's just everywhere. What a lot of people won't know is that I talk about it in my book, but I actually spent 20 years as a dentist. Oh, wow. And and one of the, yeah, one of the things that really prepared me for understanding Bitcoin was, you know, in the UK, we've got a centralized health service. Um, And so what that means is that anyone can access healthcare and it's free at the point of delivery. But the first change they made to that was dentistry after about three or four years of operating dentistry within the health service they started to introduce so they divorced that from the nhs yeah after about three or four years that's why it's a running joke that brits have ugly teeth oh hey (laughs) interesting if you've got all evening i can certainly go there um (laughs) but um but yeah it has huge implications because there were because if we go back to how they changed the money system in order to allow for war, you know, there were huge political discussions around the early 20th century of how they were going to get back on the old on the gold standard because everyone understood this as as a fair form of money. Mm. But in many res- and and the debates around trying to get back on the gold standard are partly what led to the Roaring Twenties and then the Great Depression because, of course, they artificially by coming off the gold standard, they were able to artificially manage how the economy worked. Um, And so people witnessed this for a while. And eventually when they realized that it was almost impossible to go back to what it was before, because someone was going to be punished somewhere along the line. Mm. And often it was the richest people. So of course they weren't going to do that. So the other way to address it was to kind of say, well, if we can create all of this money for war, why can't we create all of this money for poor people? Mm. And so, of course, this is where the welfare systems came from, because, of course, you know, if you quieten down the population who've suffered the most as a result of this accounting trick, then mm. you can manage things in such a way that it prevents them from continuing the argument it's it's quite sinister really so of course in, in yeah, the- yeah let, let me budge in again because we, in a fiat system uh the really wealthy don't have to pay, they are not interested in paying for the poor and they they uh, don't have to it's the rest of the society it's a middle class basically who has to carry them yeah whereas those who really gobble up the wealth they uh, get scot-free so it's also, uh, this is a corruption in itself. It's not like we're playing by the same rules. Never had, never did. 
Absolutely. Well, of course, going back to the situation about governments being responsible for the money supply, I mean, governments are responsible for the rules, for the regulations. And so they're the ones who decide how many, how people are taxed. And so you will introduce some tax legislation to say, you know, people can have more tax. But if you're a more sophisticated business person, so this is, again, this is one of the things I talk about in my book, the people who are at the top of the food chain, these businesses they actually operate, they deliberately operate so they don't make a profit because, of course, as a business, you're only taxed on your profits. So mm. they can, it means that they can have unlimited spending and they can have unlimited spending and never actually be taxed for for the money that they're taking in because they're always already offsetting it. You can use various sorts of accounting tricks if you're clever in order to avoid that. Yeah, and in addition, they uh, rig the system so that they keep competition, mm. uh, real competition out. Well, exactly. Keep it artificially. Exactly. So, you know, if you're a business who can access funding, if you know how to access venture capitalists or whatever, they'll feed you the money. And it's unfair competition against the small mom and pop businesses who yeah. have to have to rely on loans. So, for example, when I was setting up my dental business in um, December 2007, um, so, of course, this was before the financial crisis you know the loans i got i was charged 11 to 12 percent interest on those just a year later interest rates were kind of cut to almost nothing in the next few years but i was committed to these 11 to 12 percent loans for the first 12 years of my business and that was crippling at the same time when you know my customer base had been completely devastated because nobody had any money due, due right. to the financial crisis mm. so that's the an example of of someone trying to run a small business against these corporations whereas if you're a big corporation you can get much better deals on things like loans and and things like that and so the unfair competition affects you at many different levels and sometimes in ways that just aren't apparent if you haven't run a business and in America, it's even worse. In America, yeah. not just in America, of course, but that's the best example, I think, because everything is more expressed there and it's what's to come for the rest of the world. So even if there's other countries who has the same tendencies, we should look to America for where the West um, uh, society is going. And there, of course, you have the fact that, f- first off, politicians are for sale more and more in Britain too. Mm-hmm. So they own the politicians. Yeah, And if they don't own them directly, direct bribes, they certainly do it indirectly. You know, Epstein, blackmailing, whatnot. Absolutely, uh, yeah, absolutely. The cultural circles where they recruit new people from, so it mm-hmm. becomes the new norm. You have to conform to that. And mm-hmm. once in a while there comes a weirdo like, uh, let's say, a, a Jeremy Corbyn, who's an outsider, or, or a Nigel Farage, who actually is an insider, but yeah. but is in his heart uh, a kind of an outsider. But anyway, so that's one way. But then you have how they rig the industries. For example, they manage to. People don't know this, but they complain. Oh, you're giving subsidies to to solar and wind. Well, it's nothing compared to the subsidies that they give to oil and gas and <laughs> those uh, industries. They get subsidized, the most profitable industries. And the biggest subsidy is, of course, the war industry. Yeah. All the modern wars are just a ploy, like Assange revealed, mm-hmm. to keep that trough running. Yeah. And finally, they also have, uh, for example, I interviewed uh, Dr. Brooks Agnew, who complained about he's trying to set up electrical cars, but... They rig it there too. They make insane obstacles that small and, you know, growing, innovative 
yeah. things cannot yeah. jump through those holes, whereas the big guys, they don't have, they actually create those rules. Yeah. So the entire system is corrupt. And I really, this includes, of course, Wall Street and the markets. Mm-hmm. I recommend everyone to check out a documentary by Corbett Report. Uh, what was it called? It's about, he started it by, remember the scandal a few years ago where these people came together to save uh, a, kind of a gaming company or something and it crashed the speculation of a hedge fund and then they intervened and, and tried to, oh, I forgot all the names. I'm, I'm, I'm going to research this and find and read it in my post commentary to this show, folks. So, because mm-hmm. you really need to see that because he reveals there how rigged and unfree the markets are. They are just a huge pyramid game that, mm-hmm. that is, is pushed on us under the mask of a free market. And so, you, you know, the traditional economical left. They get angry. Oh, look at capitalism, right? Mm-hmm. And the traditional economical right, they can, oh, look at the, this corporate socialism or whatever. And then they blame each other. Yeah. When in actual fact, we got a third way now, which is super corrupt corporatism, which represents neither of those solutions. And I believe socialism and libertarianism in the meaning of free market, both of those systems works. The question is, what do you want in a society? But Mm -hmm. neither of them are allowed today to work because both are a threat to the ruling order of corporatism. Just my uh, couple of cents there. (laughs) Sorry, uh, let's rewind and and go on. Well, I think you make very, very pertinent points because, you know, when it comes to capitalism, supposedly is based on how the markets work. But actually, there are certain investments that you're just not allowed to access unless you have a certain net worth. You know, there are rules and regulations that have been set up to prevent you. Mm. Now, they will they will make the argument that this is to protect small investors because, you know, if they lose that, if you're wealthy and you make a bad investment, then you've got the chance to recover. But if you're a small person who makes a bad investment, then then you know you you don't there are there are greater implications and so of course yeah. there's more of an uproar if the if the um small investors uh, suffer as a result of of making a bad investment. So mm. they introduced this legislation as a way of trying to protect the small individual. But what that ultimately does is it kind of creates this niche of people where you're actually only allowed to access these these uh, other investments um, if you're over a certain net worth. And I think this is one of the reasons why crypto has been so popular because it's been such a niche market and so new there hasn't been the opportunity yet to introduce them those sorts of rules and so this is but isn't it isn't it true that inherent in the bitcoin system is uh, actually defenses against riggings like that well there's a difference between bitcoin and some of the and the other businesses that have kind of erupted around them so one of the we I know this um, interview isn't going to be released straight away, but at the moment we're doing this interview in December. And of course, you've recently had the collapse of the FTX exchange, which ultimately was an exchange for uh, trading cryptocurrencies. And of course, Bitcoin was invented first and everyone kind of went, well, this is a great, this is a great idea and everyone's doing really well, but maybe we can make it better. And, you know, rather for us, better for us. Uh, Well, exactly. (laughs) Opportunity to scam. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I know, and it's like the gods gave Prometheus fire and everyone kind of went, well, you know, I think blue fire would be better or <laughs> purple fire with sparkles would be better. Yeah. And so you've got all these all these people who've kind of want to make an amazing idea better. And there's nothing really, there's nothing really to stop them experimenting with those ideas. I mean, Bitcoin kind of unlocked everything because up until that point, governments could shut down anything that was developed that purported to be a new form of money. But because they couldn't shut Bitcoin down, um, it meant that the door kind of opened for all of these other ideas with software. And so this is where all of the other cryptocurrencies come from. And now there are thousands of them. But of course, unless you do some study into what these things are, it's very easy for it to become confusing. Isn't it, isn't it true that all cryptos except Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash are just new fiat systems which are digital? Not necessarily, because some of the some of the cryptocurrencies are derivatives of Bitcoin. So in the early days, there because there's nothing to stop you copying Bitcoin. Um, so things like Litecoin and Digibyte, for example, took the Bitcoin software, just made a few tweaks to try and create a new a new sort of um, a new way of doing things. Okay, okay, I, I need that, and this is for my own personal information. Litecoin, I know, I already have. What was the other one? Digibyte? Digibyte. Okay. I'm going to spread uh, my savings in all the Bitcoin. <laughs> if they have the same securities. And Bitcoin Cash, right? I remember yeah. that I learned from Mark Moss that they yeah. div divided like this and became two different versions of Bitcoin. Yeah. So in Bitcoin, you in well, with software, you kind of have hard forks and soft and soft forks. So like a soft fork is where you, you've kind of made an upgrade to the you've made an upgrade to the protocol. And with the Bitcoin network, they always make an effort to make sure any new software upgrade is what they call backwards compatible. That means that it's compatible with all the coins that have been produced in the past, because what you want is to make sure that anyone who owns a Bitcoin, you're always going to be able to use it, whatever format you've been using it and storing it in the past. So they're very careful about those sorts of upgrades. Whereas a hard fork is when you kind of, you copy everything that's happened on the blockchain, but you then kind of start a new chain with the old history, but then you start doing making changes to the software that kind of creates a new chain. So it's like a, it's like a new branch on the tree, right? Exactly, but because they change, because they change the protocols in different ways, they're not compatible with what's happened in the past. So that's what mm. kind of creates a new coin. So you've got you've got a number of coins like that, which are essentially copies of Bitcoin who've got, then gone on to kind of do different things with the protocol. Um, but then you've got other coins like Ethereum, which have um, which are set up with a whole different programming structure and so some of the ways they work may mimic what bitcoin does but actually there are some fundamental differences so with bitcoin there are kind of like five main things that contribute to its decentralized nature so one is the miners who are validating the transactions as as they as they are being produced yeah like let me jump in and explain for those who are don't even know those terms so a miner is someone who is creating a new bitcoin now you might say huh what can anyone just create a new bitcoin yeah if you go if you go to software and the machine the server and the you can pay the electricity bill and at some point in time 
it's actually a profitable in other points of time. Like right now, I don't think it is profitable to mine. But yeah, basically anyone can mine, right? Meaning creating new Bitcoins. Um, Did I understand that correctly? Kind of. Yeah. So the way in which the software is designed is... I've got an animation on the homepage of my website that explains this um, Mm -hmm. quite neatly with diagrams for anybody who, who really wants, who really wants to know. But basically when, when you make a payment with Bitcoin, that's called a transaction and you've got nodes, which are like computers dotted all around the world, which are constantly keeping track of any transactions that are taking place on the Bitcoin network. And then what happens is every temp, And all of the nodes are keeping track of where these transactions are. And then every 10 minutes, a miner will approve a block of transactions. Um, And and in order to approve the block of transactions, they're constantly working out a complicated computer puzzle behind the scenes. And as soon as they've got a result for that puzzle, it's like a key that they attach to that they attach to a block of transactions in order to verify that transaction that key is called a proof of work Mm. and basically what it's saying is the miners have uh, dedicated electricity to finding the result of this uh, complicated maths puzzle and as they found the result they can use that result to validate a block of transactions and this is what helps to verify the chain as it goes forwards now there are issues with the fact that well what happens if people find the result at the same time and uh whether or not and whether or not uh, a transaction can kind of be approved in one block and not in another block and the software protocol is designed to kind of overcome some of those difficulties and so what they say is that after a transaction's been confirmed uh, at least three times you can be pretty confident that that transaction can't be changed so that's that's why it takes such a long time to do a bitcoin transaction right yeah on on the main on that so that's called on the main chain so the main protocol mm. is set up in such a way that it's it's secure and you can't double spend transactions and there's a protocol for avoiding that um and to make and to make sure that you know everything's operating fairly but one of the disadvantages of that is that it it can be slow um and uh you know because if you want to wait for three con- three confirmations i mean if that happens every 10 minutes you know that's going to take half an hour and if you're in a shop that's not very convenient in the future it may take days uh, no, not necessarily, because the software is set up in such a way that it should happen every 10 minutes. Oh, OK. So if, if we stay with the whole mining thing, again, when it comes to mining, there are various issues with mining once the network becomes bigger. And as you say, you know, when Bitcoin is very popular because, um, you know, it, it's very profitable, that's when more and more people are trying to jump onto the network in order to mine. But the software is set up in such a way that once it gets to the stage where there are lots of miners, the algorithm makes it more difficult to find the results. So that's one of the things that makes mining more expensive. And so this operates as a disincentive to stop that from getting out of control. And so Mm. once it gets to the stage where there are too many miners on the network, it becomes unprofitable. And that's the point at which the unprofitable miners kind of drop off. And then the hashing, they call it the hashing algorithm, then starts to ease off. And that kind of brings the brings the whole thing back into equilibrium. It's really mm. clever the way in which it's yeah. designed in the, in that respect. So it's all it's kind of self monitoring, and it's almost like Satoshi Nakamoto when he was thinking this thing through, and not just him, but the early people who collaborated with him to try and develop his idea. Um, you know, worked out you know where. Some- wait, wait a minute. So he didn't write the software; he just had ideas. 
Well, he came up with the original white paper, but then he introduced it to a group of people who'd been working on these things for a long time. And so what happened is he kind of wrote the software, then he started it running. And then as certain problems developed in the early days, uh, the the other group of people he was working with came in with various modifications. Mm. So like I was saying at the beginning, it is possible to change the Bitcoin software, but the older it gets and the bigger it gets the harder it is to change something because you need 51 percent of the network so in the early days while it was quite small if there were problems the small group of developers who were working on it would go well okay we need to change this or we need or we need to change that and they were able to change it until eventually the way it was going to work kind of became solidified so if we go back to you know when you mentioned before about bitcoin cash there was a huge issue in 2017 over whether or not they should increase the size of a block. So the size of a block is how many transactions you can uh, keep in in a, in a block. And so people were concerned by the fact that, you know, it, this was one of the things that would slow down the network. But the other side of this argument was the fact that if you made blocks too big, you'd get to a stage where nodes couldn't be run by individuals. They'd have to be written, uh, they'd have to be operated by companies. And so a lot of the community who'd become very interested in Bitcoin felt that the most important factor was the fact that you kept it possible for individuals to run the nodes because that's what keeps it decentralized. As soon as, as soon as you have big companies that have to run a node, that's the point at which you start to get centralization in the system. So this is a huge. And then it can be rigged. Exactly. So this is a huge philosophical point of debate in, in 2017. And so, you know, some people felt that the answer was a bigger block. Other people felt that it was important to keep the the uh, block smaller, but they wanted a software upgrade to create a second layer, which would help to improve uh, the speed of transactions. And so this is where the block wars came in. And so the people who wanted bigger, bigger blocks went off and created Bitcoin Cash. Does that mean corporate friendly? Um. What do you mean by corporate friends? Yeah, so bigger blocks is potentially less decentralized, uh, more more prone to be run by corporations. In theory, mm. in theory, mm. but of course, the other thing about the other thing about the way in which these things have been invented is, you know, this is the ultimate democracy. You know, rather than just having two parties, the left and the right, you've now got these. You've got these thousands of cryptocurrencies, and each one of them operates on its own set of rules. So whichever you decide to invest in is essentially the party that you're voting for yeah. and so what so what this hard fork did it kind of it there was a philosophical divide and those who felt that bitcoin cash was the right way to go they were free to invest in that and those who felt that what bitcoin wanted to do by keeping the block smaller and doing an upgrade to the software they stayed with bitcoin and then basically people people voted which one they wanted by investing. So a lot of the people who believed that Bitcoin was going in the right direction, what happened was anyone who owned Bitcoin in August 2017, they got exactly the same amount, any Bitcoin that they held on a hardware wallet, they got exactly the same amount of Bitcoin cash. And so those who felt that what Bitcoin wanted to do with the SegWit uh, SegWit upgrade... Wait a minute, did I get double? Did I get both the cash and the Bitcoin? So it doubled? Yeah, because that's uh, the thing with the hard fork. Because because you're because you're replicating the chain, uh, you get exactly the same number of coins. So, for example, if you had five Bitcoin, for example, you got five Bitcoin cash. Huh. But those who were very invested in how Bitcoin was developing, 
the first thing they did was sell their Bitcoin cash and buy Bitcoin. And that's one of the reasons why Bitcoin, right, right. Bitcoin accelerated so much in price in 2017, because all the people, there was a huge philosophical divide. There were some people who passionately believed in Bitcoin cash. And so, and there were some large holders who had Bitcoin cash, who the moment Bitcoin cash was invented, they sold their Bitcoin and bought Bitcoin cash. Mm. But all the people who believed that Bitcoin was better sold the Bitcoin cash and bought Bitcoin. And so it was like this economic battle. And ultimately, Bitcoin won the battle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I want to say, as long as only a few percent of the people are using the market, it would be viable for both of them. Because in a scarcity system, let's say it's just 100 people, right? Then, okay, we need as many as possible of those 100 to come to our version. But when you can add 100 people per minute yeah then it kind of doesn't matter then uh, you could actually ride that wave and keep both of them and they become new users in now there's two limitations to this it's not just the number of users it's also the number of bitcoins mm -hmm. i want you to address that but before you do that i have a question about a couple of the other bitcoin branches mm -hmm. what about litecoin and digibyte digibyte uh, yeah um, are, are they too like bitcoin cash or are they closer to bitcoin what's the distinction here um, I think with with Litecoin, they the main way they change the protocol is rather than having 21 million as the limit, they quadrupled it to 84 for some reason. I don't understand. I don't I haven't studied Litecoin enough to know why they did that. But I understand that was the net effect with Digibyte. Okay, wait a minute. So, so what you're saying is that Bitcoin has a limit of how much? 21 million. And we haven't reached that yet, right? Uh, no, the last Bitcoin is due to be mined in the 22nd century. 2140, I think, is the date. Oh, wow. So people can mine new Bitcoins for 140 yeah. years? Yeah. Wow, yeah. 120 years. That's amazing. I, I didn't know that. But uh, it may go faster if everybody joins it, you know. So No, because um, the, the way mining works, it kind of... You can only mine a block every 10 minutes. And oh, so, that's right. Yes, yeah. you said so, that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, it's, it is date dependent. Yeah. Brilliant. So, so Litecoin, they wanted to increase that. So for them, it will be over 300 years from now. <laughs> uh, I don't know if they changed the time, but they did change the amount that could be created. Ah. Like I said, I haven't. I haven't studied Litecoin in great depth, so I couldn't tell you why they did that. I just no. know that, you know, when I was looking into it, um, it was, I think it's 84 million with Litecoin rather than 21 million. And then with Digibyte, I think it's 21 trillion. So they they wow. kind of added they kind of added a number of zeros. So you can own quite a lot of Digibyte, but of course it's that's still a much smaller part of the network than if you yeah. had an equivalent number of Bitcoins. So that's one of the reasons. Are, are, are there others uh, that are direct children of Bitcoin? Sorry, what was that? Are there other cryptos that are direct children? I think, yeah, I think there are a number of them. I think there's, um, mm. so another fork of Bitcoin that came along after Bitcoin Cash was Bitcoin Gold. There's another one called Bitcoin Gold. So that was another mm. hard fork. Um and I think there's like... Bitcoin. Are they trying to tie it up to gold somehow or is that just a misnomer? I think it was just a new name for it. So I think the idea behind mm. Bitcoin Gold was that it could be mined on a laptop. So so again, with each oh. of these coins, they'll they'll try and they'll try and work on a different part of the Bitcoin network that they feel doesn't quite work in order to try and make it more efficient or work better than Bitcoin does. Mm. Um, so a lot of them... 
people say that a lot of them are kind of test beds for Bitcoin, because ultimately, if one of these other coins come up with a new idea, then ultimately it could be adopted by Bitcoin, which means that although in theory you could take a bet on the fact that others of them could overtake Bitcoin, if if they develop something that's good enough, eventually Bitcoin could adopt it. Um, Who decides that? Well, it's kind of it's kind of like a group effort. So if someone wants to make a change to the Bitcoin network, what happens is, I mean, all of the software can be seen by everybody, but clearly you have to be a software developer to be able to uh, read the code and understand what it means. Mm-hmm. But um, if someone wants to make a change, they'll they'll make a they'll make a submission to um, one of the GitHub forums, and then people will discuss it and they'll debate whether or not they think it's a good upgrade or not. So so, for, for, so with the Bitcoin, when they were talking about Bitcoin Cash and they wanted to do uh, the SegWit upgrade, there was a lot of debate about it before the change was ultimately made. And um, this is this is a weakness because if you need an intellectual elite who kind of discusses the way to go, if I'm a, like a unlimited power player, like a CAA or whatever, mm-hmm. then I'll just make sure that I take over that community uh, by hook or by crook. Yes. And then they will launch a new system that all the users just automatically have to follow. This is the first weakness I've ever heard well, this, about. Well, this well, is this the thing about 2017 because that's what they tried to do. Oh, wow. But ultimately, the, chain, the, the change could only be made because it has to be verified by the users. So all of the users who were using Bitcoin who, had, who were following the debate, they get to vote with their nodes. So they, it, it's only established once all of the nodes kind of vote by agreeing to the upgrade. And if there aren't enough nodes that agree to the upgrade, then it doesn't get adopted. But but nobody has ever, since I, and as I admit rather recently, but since I joined the bandwagon, nobody asked me of anything. So how does this work? Well, the thing is, in order to have a, have a say, you need to know enough to run a node. So as an individual, you could run a Bitcoin node. Ah. So That's running a... back to the everyone has a server in the home thing. Exactly. Decentralization thing. Yeah, exactly. So so it's very it's relatively easy for people to run a node. It's It requires more capital investment to run a miner. So a miner is kind of like an upgraded node that's trying to find this complicated maths puzzle in order to verify transactions. But the nodes are just collecting the transactions, which is a different job. And it's not so energy intensive. So what that means is it's possible for the average person with a bit of know how to run a node. But if you wanted to run a minor you'd probably need to use more you'd have to buy like the right equipment and and that's quite expensive uh but of course you get the reward for doing that because you actually you'd be rewarded by um owning bitcoin if you actually manage to do that successfully Mm. but even by running your own node you kind of become a more you kind of become a verified voter in the system for example so it's like a democracy but you need a certain amount of intellect in order to be able to vote you need to know what you're doing in order to be able to approve or deny anything that suggests yeah but there will always be so many of those people around that is impossible to like force uh, those into corruption uh, because exactly uh, exactly anyone can do it so yeah yeah and that's what keeps it decentralized because Mm. generally speaking those are the those the people running a node are very invested in the technology. They're very interested in, in how it's developing. And they will be the ones who 
approve a change to the network and they'll also be the ones who prevent um, a bad change to the network as well. So again, so it's another element that's kind of been programmed into the whole thing that kind of makes it self-governing. So um, which of these uh, uh, other Bitcoin children are kind of keeping the centralization thing? That's what's most important in my book. The decentralization, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think that's what they're all designed to do. But the thing is, as time goes by, it's always kind of like a risk benefit analysis. So in the early days, of course, there are more and more people who were, who were convinced by the idea that maybe a different kind of Bitcoin could be successful. But of course, as time goes by and Bitcoin remains the top dog, it becomes less and less worthwhile to work on some of these other other coins and so you need people who are invested in the network in order to kind of keep it going um and if there isn't a reward there then there are going to be less people willing to work on it so again one of the reasons why bitcoin's the strongest is because that's where the top developers are working because that's where that's where the rewards are and the same with mining you know because bitcoin's more valuable it's more potentially more profitable to mine bitcoin than it is for lightning, for example. However, you know, there are hobbyists who will mine these altcoins because they can mine the altcoins more easily and get the rewards from those altcoins and then they can use those altcoins to buy Bitcoin. Oh. So there are different there are different so there are different incentives. So it might well be that, you know, Litecoin or Digibyte may not have a future as the world reserve currency, but at the moment, while they still have some value it's still a way of um, creating something with value and then exchanging it for something that maybe has more long-term potential yeah yeah and that's defined by whoever actually are interested in these coins right if nobody's interested the value goes down to zero but as long as someone actually are using them or or, or cultivating them they have a certain value even if it's just as a ploy to get bitcoins exactly (laughs) but explain better this 50 percent thing i think that's crucial for people to understand uh robert bonomo tried uh, but i was too uninformed back then to get it now i think i get it but let's see here so in my layman's language it's like this that to hijack bitcoin mm-hmm. you need over 50 percent of the the, the the code is written so that over 50% of the system has to be hijacked. And the reason they can't do that today is because it's gr- grown too big. Mm-hmm. There's too many of these uh, nodes, uh, individual nodes involved. And also, I understand it would take so much energy or something. Yeah, yeah. To f- explain this better. So there are two aspects there. So one would be taking over for 50% of the nodes. And of course, it's the nodes that have the voting voting power, mm. whereas it's the miners that have the economic power. Um, so you could kind of say the miners are the banks and the nodes are the government. Um, mm. And really where the 51% comes in is you'd need 51% of the miners in order to to um, have more economic power in order to approve the blockchain in the direction that you want. But the thing, so it would take an awful lot of money to kind of achieve that. And even then you're only achieving it for one block, which is the first 10 minutes until the next one comes along. And so the other thing about the 51% attack is it's not just 
um, about the money you need, but you also need the money over a, over a sustained period of time because the moment the rest of the network can kind of catch up with you, it will be then be verifying verifying the blockchain in the way it, it should be verified. So yeah, so fifty one percent attack. Uh, the way I understand it is that it's the, your ability to take control of the blockchain and kind of manipulate it in the direction that you want it to go. But couldn't couldn't you know in a scenario with a great reset, you shall owe nothing and be happy, no more middle class. Mm-hmm. Is is it still is it too late or is there still time if if a central power gobbles up everything? Um, you know, the the proverbial powers that be. Yeah. Just to hijack the entire Bitcoin. Because as I understand it today, the only thing standing between complete economic tyranny mm-hmm. and uh, some semblance of uh, a working system that we've had in the past is Bitcoin. Yeah. So it's it would be the number one enemy. I mean, they go to war, they torture, they do anything. Yeah. They pollute, they rape yeah. for profit. Yeah. This is so of course they will try to find a way to yeah. kill Bitcoin. Yeah. Absolutely. And and to be fair, they have. I mean, like I said earlier, mm. in the early days, I mean, a lot of people will argue now, well, you know, what about the government's tr- ability to shut it down? It's just like they tried that. Mm. Do you think this thing would even exist if they hadn't even given it a good attempt? So the first thing they did was try and shut it down. Then when they realized they couldn't shut it down, the next thing was to try and it's like a number of these other altcoins. It was almost like you kind of create so much competition. Mm. People are then confused as to where the real innovation lies. And so I think around 2017, the bankers came up with this narrative of blockchain, not Bitcoin, mm. uh, because they were trying to they were trying to convince everyone that, well, yeah, although Bitcoin created a new innovation, they're never going to be able to take away what we do. So we're going to kind of co-opt the innovation and take it from there. And of course, you know, this is where the fear of central bank digital currencies come from, because ultimately they want to use a a blockchain in order to run uh, the fiat system, which has all sorts of that's 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 a real what's it called um self uh, contradiction it's a real uh, uh oh, i'm blanking on the word but uh <laughs> you know fiat and and uh, actually i want to talk more later about why that's a nightmare and why also mm-hmm. other centralized cryptos shouldn't really be compared with Bitcoin. But I want us to stay a little more on these attempts to shut it down because mm-hmm. you say they tried everything. No, I mean, what about just outlawing it, just blatantly outlawing it? Well, I mean, this. Well, these are th- who is it who said first they first they ignore you, right? Then they. Fight you? No, ridicule you. Yeah, ridicule you. Then they slander you. Then they fight you. Then you win. Fight you. Then they win. So, so you know, so the ignoring was the beginning, just kind of kind of say, well, you know, Bitcoin's going to win amount to nothing. Then they ridicule you. It's like blockchain, not Bitcoin, Mm. and it's like uh, right now, it's almost like we're in the fight. You know, it's really start. The idea behind Bitcoin is really starting to gain some traction. People might not understand it, but it's very rare now that people haven't even heard of it. People use it without understanding it in the poor world because it's uh, they realized in many, many, many poor countries that Jesus Christ, this is a better value for my money than these bullshit local fiats were gone overnight. 
Absolutely. And isn't it interesting in the Bible, they say the first should be last and the last should be first. And it's like literally no other technology on the planet, which is literally about to flip it on its head because the Westerners have been comfortable for so long. They're the least likely to understand it. It's the people who've suffered longest who understand it first. And so inevitably what that means is the whole thing gets flipped on its head and the elites and their arrogance are going to be the ones who ignore it the longest. And the moment they do get it, and they all decide their money needs to be in Bitcoin. All they do is they raise it's too the late. Va- well, they raise the value for anyone who's been holding it. All these people right, right. who are ignored or ridiculed in the early days who bought Bitcoin anyway, the moment the elites start to invest it, they make all those people rich. <laughs> By then it's too late. Exactly. So they make a new elite because the elite only have fiat. And as fiat is being devalued, mm-hmm. as more and more people come over to Bitcoin, then uh, first of all, they have less buying power. That's number one. Number two, they won't all do it at the same time. So as they start doing it, they are creating richer people for uh, those who are already in the system. Many of them will become uh, billionaires. And as the others see that, oh, shit, my competitor is investing. Now I have to do it too. So they're forcing each other into the system. But Uh, some of them, I think, will just realize we can't do it. We can't go into Bitcoin because yeah. there's no way for us to remain, uh, you know, the dictators of the world. Exactly. And I, I think privacy, you should talk about that too, because mm-hmm. uh, let me rewind. I said to Bonomo what you said now. I said, wow, the, the poor people in the poor world, they will become the new oligarchs. But then he, he, I think he said that, no, because remember, they use it. They don't have the ability to save it. Yeah. So it's those who save it. So I think still uh, being a middle class person Mm -hmm. in the Western world Mm -hmm. is your best bet to come out of this game ahead. But let's go to the privacy thing, because Mm -hmm. I was shocked when I saw that uh, Canada, uh, this Trudeau, that he managed to close down crypto accounts. And I didn't understand how that can be. Can anyone know? Who owns and can anyone know how much I've got, etc.? I thought it was a completely private system. Well, it's it's called it's pseudo anonymous, so it's not fully anonymous and it's not fully private. So the idea is, you know, when you're transacting between people who already own Bitcoin, you only really know who the Bitcoin belongs to when there's a label on who that transaction is from. That's why um, a lot of the exchanges are required now to have know your customer and anti-money laundering um, legislation. So the idea is anyone who's on a crypto exchange, um, the moment you transact in some Bitcoin, a label kind of gets attached to any transaction that you've made on the exchange and then you withdraw it, they can track uh, where that Bitcoin goes after you withdraw it. Is, Is that because you always end up withdrawing it in fiat and that's their entrance point to start tracking the transaction chain? No, if you withdraw it in Bitcoin, they can they can follow that what happens to that wallet afterwards. So, I mean, if you pay someone else in Bitcoin, they might not know who you paid, but they'll know that it came from you. And as that as that Bitcoin kind of gets followed through all of the history of the transactions, because every every transaction that's been made in Bitcoin going right back to 2009 is recorded forever. Mm. There's no way to ever 
change that. That's what yeah, and that was put in as a part of the unregability, right? Absolutely. Protected. Absolutely. Yeah. And um and so all of that history will be there forever. And so what that means is that um, you know, if so for example, I think in 2018 there was like a hack of the NHS in the UK and a lot of NHS computer computers got shut down and the hacker said um, you know, we'll unlock your records when you pay us in Bitcoin. And mm. so some people may well have paid Bitcoin to kind of didn't do much for Bitcoin's reputation, but a number of people <laughs> would have paid that Bitcoin in order to get their records back because, of course, people's lives were on the line. Yeah. But the thing is, wherever the, whatever the Bitcoin address was that they had to send the Bitcoin to, that's been recorded forever. And so the whoever collected that bit whoever did that hack and collected that bitcoin they will always have a target on their back you know someone's going to be watching that wallet for day dot until one of them makes a mistake and um. they can figure out who it is um and in fact there was a hack of the the bit uh the um one of the exchanges uh in 2014 and the hackers got away with billions of bitcoin but They've recently figured out who it is because they made a mistake in one of their transactions. So wait a minute. How, how could I thought it was unhackable? How could a hacker steal bitcoins? They didn't steal the bitcoin. They hacked the exchange. So the exchanges where you can buy and sell for fiat is a different kind of software than bitcoin. Right. And of course, in 2014, a lot of their technology was still quite early, and so anyone who was a little bit savvy could. Could have. I, I'm not on any of these exchange. We haven't you know, explained those, but that's like a marketplace for bitcoins. But I have, is, yeah, I have Exodus, but that's not an exchange, is it? No, that's the wallet. That's, that's the wallet. So yeah. So the wallet is always safe, right? Yeah, if, if as long as you keep the seed words to the wallet, um, the key, then yeah. then yeah, yes, that will. Yeah, someone can of course torture you to get that information, and, and or they can, or you can be careless with your seed phrase, and someone could find it and use it. Mm, mm. Um, so so yeah, so that's different. But an exchange is exchanges are like banks where you kind of go into you deposit some money and buy some shares or whatever and some people keep their money on the exchanges because some people don't trust themselves to actually look after it for themselves so okay. they'd rather have a third party that looks after them and not all of the ex i mean all of the exchanges are fairly new but some are better than others in the way in which they manage their affairs so again if you're getting involved in the crypto community you have to do some research as to you know which ones have been around the longest which ones have the better reputation which is amazing how ftx could get away with it well i mean there's a whole story behind ftx i mean they came up very suddenly um and they seem to have some very interesting people backing them from behind i think there's way 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 more to that story than told. yeah you know i i almost invested into that scam yeah uh, there was this guy i met who had all the right values yeah. and he was uh, sincere and everything he of course he was duped he said look man there's something weird going on in the crypto world what this is new um coin that uh, because we discussed how the elites and the centralized powers are going to try to crush Bitcoin, everybody knows that. So they are going to try to make their own. And I said, look, the Bank of England has it on their website here in Norway. I'll tell you about what they're doing here in Norway later. Yeah. And he said, yeah, but uh, I think uh, they already started a new coin. What's that? FTX. So how, how do you know? Because they all talk about it. They say this is going to be, this is what the private banks will invest in. This is going to be the new international 
coin in the Western world, the digital version of the their fiat. Mm-hmm. And as proof, look at all these big players who are approving it, who are propping it up, who are investing in it. We have to emulate uh-huh. who they invest in if we want to get ahead, right? So if you want to hedge your bets, put some of your money into that. And he's, he didn't try to trick me. This was what many was thinking. Yeah. Oh, we are smart. We are ahead of the pack. Let's uh, let's not put all our eggs in one basket. So I almost did it, but laziness, procrastination, being busy Ugh. made it so that I never Thank got. You. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you 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 get how it could be spun like that, right? Absolutely, and of course, people will always take advantage of those situations if you don't know what you're doing. Um, yeah, yeah. And people who are and people who are naive. I mean, one thing I will credit credit it for i mean um i mean i hadn't heard of ftx until un, until it until it blew up but as part of uh figuring out what had happened um i was looking at some of their adverts and one of the ones they had for the super bowl uh they had this guy called larry who i believe is a comedian in the united states and it's like you have the whole of history and he's always kind of turned down these good ideas and right at the end you know oh, so- larry david yeah yeah and he right prophetic uh, right at the end, you know, um, they're trying to persuade him to invest in FTX and he's kind of going, nah, I never invest, you know, I never invest in that kind of stuff or something. And it's just like it was the one time in that whole series he was right. No, he, I think he said that will fail. I think he actually said that he said something about failing or. Yeah. Well, yeah, he was just like, I don't think so. And I'm never yeah, wrong yeah. about this stuff, even though he'd kind of been yeah, wrong about every right. other innovation throughout history. It's like <laughs> he rejected yeah. the wheel. He'd invented, rejected the toilet in the Middle Ages. He'd rejected <laughs> landing on the moon. Um, right, and, right. Uh, you know, that was funny. It was like, no, that'll never happen. And he was the only one who did that. Uh, yeah. And it's such a clever advert. And of course, mm. you know, right at the end, he, he was right. So it's yeah. just a... It's just a reflection of the fact that you can be sceptical. Sometimes you can miss it. Sometimes sometimes you can't. But sometimes you can be absolutely right. And, of course, in that advert, you know, he was absolutely right. I mean, it was a really clever advert. It's worth watching it just, just for that, really. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you, you have to be sceptical. And sometimes you can be so sceptical that, that you miss um, out. You yeah. don't do yourself a favor because you miss out. Mm. But it's when – because I've always – I mean, a lot of people talk about conspiracy theories, and I don't really like to – you know, it's got such a bad rap mm. that it's so difficult when people kind of come up with those labels. I now like to call them alternative mm. you know, alternative theories, because actually one of the problem with conspiracy theories is people will take something that actually has an essence of truth in it and they'll make it sound so ridiculous yeah. that people mm. then throw the baby out with the bathwater without investigating it. But there's also another saying, which is there's no smoke without fire. And if people are actually discussing something, you know, sometimes it warrants further investigation because although it may well seem like nonsense on the surface, once you actually start looking into it, you go, actually, I didn't know that. And if you think about it from that perspective, I can see where it comes from. But it's only in the process of actually investigating it that you start to come across those alternative perspectives and you can make a judgment call for yourself. Um, and the information's out there, but you have to search for it. But so many of us are time deprived at the moment. You know, people who are struggling with their lives, struggling with their bills, um, struggling with their families. They just don't have time to research this stuff. And I mean, I, you know, in terms of Bitcoin, I spent hours on it. I mean, it helped that I found it fascinating. But most people just aren't interested enough to kind of like look at it to that extent. Mm. I mean, I also I was also in a situation where 
professionally for 20 years, I've had to grapple with this difference between NHS and private healthcare as part of my profession. Mm. Um, and I'd got to the stage where I'd, I'd kind of, I'd, I'd kind of understood where the problems were and why I believed what I believed. And because I just because I'd been through that process, I was kind of primed to go through the thought process to learn Bitcoin as well. But, mm. you know, not everyone has that kind of foundation. Or no, that it's a luxury. That's why many tuning into shows like mine, if they already trust me and yeah. my motivations and my ability, my judgment for guests, yeah. and they can also listen to the guests. So this is actually, it's because of people like you who do the dirty work. You can help those brothers and sisters who, who are not just in a position to do it. Exactly, exactly. And uh, when it came to writing my book, it was partly because, I mean, I, I published my book in 2020, but by then I'd been in Bitcoin for four years and I'd meet family and friends and I was so enthused about it and I'd want to talk about it. But then, you know, I may well only have them in my company for an afternoon or something. It was just like, well, if I write a book, then I'm not repeating the same thing to everyone over and over again. <laughs> right. It's just kind of like, look, read this book. It'll take you three hours. It'll tell you everything that you need to know. And it was written in such a way that my family and friends could understand it. It was written as a story to try and engage them and make it interesting and make it relevant to their lives. So, you know, because there are some books that are quite technical, it's like yeah. people, people feel they have to make it very technical in order for it to be credible. And it was just like, I don't feel the need to do any of that. I, I'm very confident in the pathway that I've been through to understand this. I know enough of it to, you know, create create a reason why. You know, these are all the reasons why I think you should consider it. And I thought if I put it in a book, then I can just give them that and hopefully it'll at least be a way in. It's not the whole story, but it's a way in for someone who doesn't know anything about it. So. That, that that explains uh, many of the feedback people give to the book. It's like, um, judging from the feedback, it seems to be like the Da Vinci Code of uh, crypto, of Bitcoin <laughs> yeah. information. Yeah. And I, and I do say that even experts should read it. But an easy presentation doesn't mean a simple content. So no. I think uh, everyone could benefit. But uh, the fact that we talk your book does not mean that we are about to wind down because I have a million other questions for you so victoria you've been very good at uh very clearly i have to say i, I want to read your book now because the way you've explained things dumbed it down for me <laughs> so <laughs> simply uh, makes it um, very interesting but you're very good at keeping your thread i must say oh thank you <laughs> yeah that's good that's good <laughs> okay so i was asking you about how they could crack down on the truckers and other protesters because that's what we're going to see more and more of in the future mm-hmm. that in fact was it vedmore or someone who, who said that uh, they're going to call it conspiracy coin you know it, yeah this goes to this uh, let, let, let me do a little rant here you mentioned conspiracy and i in general try to avoid that term because it's a lose-lose for any honest people because yeah. on the one hand, you're very right. They they actually design, and if they don't design it, they certainly stimulate and facilitate insane yeah. hypotheses about stuff in the world. Yeah. Uh, now, without putting myself into being the arbiter of what's right and what's wrong, to me, it looks as if, for example, the flat earth is wrong, mm-hmm. and but they want certain things. I see the most insane things out there, even worse than flat earth, are not being cracked down, are not being uh, like, ooh, disinformation or whatever. It's being, fa- they get help. 
So, and there's an old saying, uh, if you want to know who rules the world, look at which, uh, look at who, who you can't criticize or what you can't criticize. Yeah. And so we know for sure that PSYOPs in, in Intel uh, industry, you know, are part of the social engineering is to control thought. Because mm-hmm. freedom of thought is is a direct threat, especially in these days when everything is centralized and controlled. So they need to have that as a decoy for the normies, for the sleepwalkers, for the muggles, yeah. the yeah. people. So look at that. That's what you're going to belong to if you, you know, dare deviate from the standard propaganda. Yeah. So that's, that's one effective way of... Uh, and then parallel to that, they replace... The meaning, you know, conspiracy theory is used for that and then is used for real power criticism, system criticism. Yeah. What used to be a part of the public conversation in the not so very old days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's a loose loose because this is the way, you know, divide and conquer. So I, I just, when I use it, I use it scientifically, historically, and technically correct. Mm-hmm. For example, it's called a Conspiracy hypothesis when someone suggests a speculation of what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't even say anything about whether it's right or wrong. But of yeah. course, to most people, it's like a magical word. Turn off yeah. your brain. Yeah. So yeah. So that's why I always say our show is not about conspiracies. Yeah. Our show is about politics, science, religion, philosophy, history. Yeah. Um, but there may be conspiracies within each of those fields, mm-hmm. right? And then we, we we mentioned that the focus on that, like now we're doing economics, and then parts of this yeah. can be around the actual conspiracies, meaning how certain interests are fighting for their uh, vested interest, how they're fighting for their own benefit in that, which is the name of the game, is the rule of the world it's mm-hmm. called history right this is what everybody has done since the dawn of mankind so that's how i approach that and my listeners know this now one uh, which isn't even a conspiracy hypothesis anymore is that they will try to destroy bitcoin by banning it doing it illegal they haven't gone that far yet mm-hmm. and maybe they can't get there if they can't get there you tell us why but they for sure has managed to crush people's of course the bank account was just a flip of the switch right yeah but yeah. even they've managed to smack down on bitcoin so how how could they do this you start to talking about that they can track something is that what they did um well i mean <sighs> Where do I start with this? Yeah, it's a big one. Yeah, it's it's a tricky one. I mean, I would argue that from the very beginning they've known. I mean, people people think that the government's just kind of poo-pooed it. I don't think that's true at all. I think they knew ex- right from the beginning exactly what they were dealing with, which was one of the reasons why they tried to find whoever Satoshi Nakamoto was. And mm. eventually when they couldn't find him and Bitcoin took on a life of its own, I think their next step was to try and make it confusing for people with like the new the new idea of blockchain not bitcoin. Um yeah. and that then of course you've got a, lo- a lot of the they call them bitcoin maximalists who kind of going anything that isn't bitcoin doesn't have any value. I mean I wouldn't go that far because I think a lot of these alternative coins are like test nets for what bitcoin is doing so they have an important role. Um, uh, and uh, let me say, they can also be a me- means for exchange into fiat. Exactly. And obviously, some people are mining them to kind of keep them going, as as we've already discussed. And also, who's to say that there isn't a, 
a vulnerability that no one's spotted yet with Bitcoin in the future. And if development has has happened behind the scenes with some of these other coins, you know, then there's a possible replacement. So there are lots of ways. There are lots of ways in which this could work out Um, in the traditional world. You know, you might have the Republicans and the Democrats in government. If someone were to wipe out one of those parties, what are you left with? I mean, there's always going to be an alternative point of view. Something, something mm. would would it would emerge from from the ether, and that's that's the benefit of of having such a a rich kind of ecosystem for for something to evolve. And you know, even if if it isn't Bitcoin in the future, just Bitcoin itself created such a sea change. It it freed up the ability to think and and create it create these new things. So as you said earlier, I I think just the fact that Bitcoin exists completely through the switch, in my personal opinion, I think having some kind of centralized digital currency, digital fiat currency that they had control over was probably always the master plan. Um, But Bitcoin kind of disrupted all of that. I think up until Bitcoin was invented, it's like they had this idea of having, you know, worldwide control of of the fiat currency system. But what the one thing they hadn't anticipated was someone coming along and creating a de- decentralized yeah. version and and having someone who kept themselves hidden. And what self-discipline as well to um, keep yourself. You've created this world-changing technology and kept yourself secret all this time. I mean, I think the story is just amazing. Mm. So, but absolutely necessary for humanity's freedom because centralized money although it was allowed to continue because they managed to spin it in a way that um well actually we can do if we do it this way we can create all these services for poor people it was almost like you know they've they've stolen from you and tossed you a bone as a compensation prize and everyone leapt on the compensation prize and went oh well it's okay then because we've got this but ultimately you know they the public have been tricked and um they've been tricked into um agreeing to something that they never would have agreed it with and there were always some dissenting voices but unless you've got the large majority of the population kind of saying hang on a minute this isn't right mm-hmm. a lot of those voices were quietened down by this these so-called beneficial services that they managed to create as a side benefit and people had never seen things like this before unemployment allowance free health care you know these were awesome innovations at that point in history Mm. Um, because as great as the gold standard was poverty was a very real problem oh yeah charles dickens britain is famous for being the picture of the horrible uh... yeah absolutely and i have to say once i first started reading about the gold standard that was the one thing that concerned me because it was just like well i understand how something like the gold standard created prosperity but it didn't create prosperity for everybody what Mm. about the poor people actually it was the introduction of the fiat system that created some of these services for people who had nothing before Mm. and so in this way they were able to kind of reduce the outcry amongst the large numbers of people who would have opposed right. the changes that had already been foisted on them. And this is like a- like FDR said when he was heavily criticized by other elites for introducing the, the new deal. The social network system, right? He he said, No, I didn't kill capitalism. I saved 
capitalism because yeah. back in the day people were educated everybody knew yeah. that some of marx analysis i'm not saying marx proportions of course many disagreed with that mm -hmm. but they knew very well certain mechanics yeah in capitalism that he uh, decoded back in the 1800s one of them was that inherent in the system is a collapse from uh, the big ones becoming monopolies in other words capitalism will cannibalize itself and destroy free markets. Mm -hmm. You don't need socialists to do it. Socialists can also do it, mm -hmm. but that's one of the problems. The other problem is that at a certain point, when that decentralization and gobbling up, uh, it's it's like a classical Bond villain. I want total world power. <laughs> and then when one man, because I often say to those who, who don't want any checks and balances, I say, okay, at what, which point will you protest? Is it when they're, is it when there's only one person owning everything and running everything? Mm -hmm. Is it when it's a hundred person? Mm -hmm. Is it when it's a thousand? At what point are you going to go all the way until it's one person controlling everything? So obviously not. So they knew that at some point the critical mass will change and there will be a revolution. And that's when you get fascism or 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 like a Soviet kind of state capitalism called communism or other horrible, maybe you go back to feudalism. Mm. So they knew all this. And so they had to cater to it. And with fiat, they could kind of trick in a solution where the rich doesn't really have to pay for it, yeah, but everyone else pays for it. yeah, And nobody sees that anyone pays for it, if you see what yeah. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That's my take on that. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, this isn't the first time a fiat currency has been tried throughout history. I mean, it's been it's occurred on a new on numerous occasions before. And again, a lot of people don't understand this history. I mean, a, a big part of the French Revolution was due to the fact that they'd used this, they'd they'd created a fiat currency. So what happened right. in pre-revolutionary France was um I think in 1776, Adam Smith, who's the most famous uh, first economist, he he wrote a book called The Wealth of Nations. And in that book, he talked about the fact that, um, you know, the gold and silver coins were already being devalued by introducing other metals. Yeah. And at that stage, um, I think the British pound was already a third silver. The Scottish pound was a 66 silver or or. Or was it um the English was a third silver, the Scottish pound was a sixth silver, but the the French franc was already like a 66 silver. So, you know, just through dilution of the metals, the French currency was already uh suffering quite a lot. And so, and of course, this has huge implications when it comes to international trade. Right. And so in order to overcome this problem, I think the French elites decided to revalue all of French property and create uh, notes called assignats, which would represent the value of the currency. Mm. And um, and of course, this this ultimately failed. But what happened in the short term was that, you know, the rich people in the city who understood how this worked, took advantage of it and, of course, became fabulously wealthy because they manipulated the system and used these assignats to buy real goods because they knew ultimately that this money would be found that was worthless. But the people who really suffered were the peasants. So you've got um, the famous musical Les Miserables, and of course they parodied the uh, innkeeper and his wife as these yeah. terrible, 
terrible people who were just out for money. But the trouble was they couldn't make their businesses successful because any money they collected from their customers was instantly devalued. And so, of course, this would affect how much they were able to buy in order to help. So they were trapped in the inflation too. Absolutely, because when you run a business, there's a limit to how much you can increase your prices to keep up with the cost of your supplies. And so, of course, it would be... So it was the bankers who who was... uh profiting here or well it was also the government colluded with it because of course they made the rules that said the the money wasn't they they manufactured a way in which apparently this this currency was tied to french property but ultimately it's managed by the rules you use in order to manage the system and Mm. so the elites would change would trade these assignats and they'd use it to buy houses and and solid goods or whatever that they knew had had real value but the 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 peasants and even the middle classes who were trying to run their mom and pop businesses didn't fully understand what was happening at a high level so they were just trying to run their daily lives they were trying to run their businesses but as the currency devalued, anything that they needed to run their business became more and more expensive. Mm. And normally when you run a business, the only way you can pay for your supplies is what you collect from your customers. Mm. And so in order to keep their businesses running, and it's the same kind of thing we've got at the moment. A lot of these restaurants are struggling in terms of um, keeping their staff and providing the same standard of meals because as inflation occurs in the economy, there's a limit to how much you can increase the prices because if you increase the prices too much, you then lose all of your customers. Mm. And so things get out of balance much more quickly in a situation of inflation um, than they do when you've got something like a sound currency. Mm. And so this was one of the reasons why uh, pre-revolutionary France was so impoverished. And it's why the peasants stormed the Bastille. Um, It wasn't because they were feckless people who weren't working. It's because whatever work they did, they weren't able to store their value in order to become prosperous. And so it and the current elite hasn't learned from history. What FDR knew, what everyone knew is that we we, we can't just take it. When revolutions come yeah. is when you don't anymore have food in your belly, mm-hmm. roof over your head, mm-hmm. and can provide for your children. That's when people get radicalized. Absolutely. Uh, but Bitcoin, uh, we have to later explain why Bitcoin can't be why there's a difference between a system like Bitcoin mm-hmm. and a system like fiat mm-hmm. and even a system like a gold mm-hmm. standard. But go on with your excellent history lesson. Go on. Well, I mean, in terms of revolutions, it was the same thing that happened in Russia. Yeah. So Russia at the beginning of the 20th century had been involved in a war which had depleted their coffers quite significantly. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in the First World War, when this accounting trick began that the Western powers started using in order to keep funding the war, Russia tried that, but it was already in a weaker position before it did that. So what it meant was the Russian population started suffering from the devaluation of their currency before anyone else in Europe did. And so that's the reason why you got the Bolshevik revolution. You know, the Bolsheviks were able to capitalize on the fact that people were suffering. And when you go back in history, all of these big revolutions are... Uh, stimulated by the fact that uh, the currency has been devalued in some way. I mean, the average person doesn't really care what rich people are doing as long as they can live their lives in peace and carry on. You know, when times are peaceful, most people will ignore politics because they find more interesting things to do with their lives. But the problem problem comes when 
that's been allowed to continue for so long in the background until it does start affecting them. Mm. And that's the point at which people are like, hang on a minute. But of course, by then mm. the damage is already done. Yeah. And it's like at the 11th hour, people suddenly kind of went, hang on. And it's like, that's where we are right at this moment in time. Right, right. Um, and um, And it's interesting, actually, because if you listen to someone like Cliff, he will say that, the elites had this always had this plan but it was planned for much further out and it's almost like the fact that bitcoin was invented and the the ability it has to disrupt Ah, that's why they accelerate exactly desperately yeah they had to Mm. accelerate it because um otherwise they'd completely lose their opportunity and accelerating it is a huge risk too because that forces a lot of people to wake up yeah exactly and so of course they accelerated it with the pandemic but of course it was the pandemic you know what do you do you lock people in the houses and what unless you're being forced to work if you've been given three months off from work what are you going to do watch youtube (laughs) it's amazing (laughs) what youtube will teach you so um yeah and and of course the whole thing with the vaccine i mean it's stimulated huge debate um Mm. even even amongst people who had no idea about any of this stuff. Yeah. It's been amazing to watch. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think I think it's Bitcoin really that brought their timetable forward. And uh, as a result, it's forcing them to make missteps. And it's almost like the university is kind of giving us this last minute opportunity. It's like, guys, we understand why you were awake, yeah. um, but you really... You, you mean a universe, not a universe. Well, yeah, the universe. Yeah. The universe is giving us this one opportunity. It's like, guys, we understand why we weren't paying attention to this. And we get it. You know, who'd want to pay attention to these guys? But unless you do something right now, it's game over. So you yeah. better catch yeah. up quick. Um, God, I love Bitcoin. Oh. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And and the thing is, when you start seeing it from that kind of perspective, you understand why people are so passionate about this stuff. I mean, mm. it's easy to label it as people who just kind of want to make money. And of course, there are always going to be those people who kind of give it a bad, bad reputation. Mm. But it's the fundamentals and it's the things that change that we didn't understand needed changing that makes it so interesting and worthy of attention. Um you know, just the whole subject is worthy of attention. Even if you don't agree with Bitcoin straight away, just by investigating anything to do with the crypto space will lead you back to Bitcoin. And yet then you're forced to understand it mm. because it requires you understanding it from so many different levels. You know, you need to understand why computer software works the way that it does. You need to understand finance. You need to understand financial history. You need to understand economics. You know, how does the business work? Why is it important to have something like sound money? It kind of unravels. Yeah, it's like it's like opening the floodgates. It's exactly. like Pandora's box. It's like you can't unsee it. Mm-hmm. You open it and uh, you can't put the cat back in the bag as well. No, you can't. And it's it's just the most amazing educational experience. I mean, it's like finding a, th- a piece of loose thread on a jumper and you start pulling on it and the whole thing starts to unravel. And it's just... <laughs> amazing it's wonderful yeah it is yeah yeah okay but uh, you know what this is so i'm learning so much and with that my listeners um excellent can i squeeze you for another hour because i have yes, still... yeah. okay cool 
So we both got time, so I'm not going to let you go yet. But we're probably both getting tired and there's loose threads. In fact, I think we should take a quick break, fill up or mugs. Oh, that would be great, actually. Yeah, I could do a right? comfort break, yeah. And then we start going through the loose threads and, okay. and all the rest of the questions that's not addressed. Perfect. And at the end, we're going to plug properly your book, sites, podcast, whatever. Okay, perfect, yeah. yeah. So let's uh, do a quick break then. All right, then. Okay, okay. see you in five okay. minutes. Great stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of our files are free and will remain free. If you like the show, you can show support by donating $1 to help with expenses. Just use the paid link on our webpage. Thanks.